And I think one of the crazy things I find as adults is that we tend to get landlocked in the stories we tell ourselves about our lives, about ourselves and about the world around us. And I think I'm sort of taking a more childlike approach, coming with wonder, coming with curiosity and saying, maybe if I tell a different story, I have a different meaning. And if I have a different meaning, then I have a different sense of identity, a different relationship to my upbringing. Matthew B. Holloway II and Cornelius Finlay have a few things in common. They are both black men. They both come from small towns in the Southern United States, and they are both exchange alumni who attended a seminar on American identity with other exchange program alumni in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But that's where the similarities end. My name is Matthew Holloway. I am an alum of the Fulbright ETA program. I did my ETA in Panama in 2018. It was a great experience, uh, transforming a part of my life. Currently now, I am a graduate student at University of San Diego where I study conflict management and resolution uh, with a particular emphasis on intercultural dynamic and relations. I'm also the founder of Conversations by Courage, which is a social practice that rewrites the story of who we are by reconstructing our sense of belonging. My name is Cornelius Finley. I'm an alum of the Gilman Scholarship, and I recently, in 2020, became a Fulbright Specialist. I'm a lawyer by trade. However, I am the founder of Access Unlimited. And essentially, our goal is just to revolutionize education throughout the United States. We currently have a contract with New York City Department of Education and Dallas ISD to where we do turnover work, and that is essentially going into schools and ensuring that those schools don't get shut down and don't fail. And we have been lucky, lucky enough to turn that turnover work into uh, becoming our own independent charter slash private uh, school organization. And so we are opening our first school in Dallas, the Mary Finley Early College for Boys that will lead to our second school in Atlanta, which will be the James Baldwin Early College for Boys. Cornelius grew up in Texas in, as he calls it, the hood. He was sent to juvenile detention in high school and got shot twice in college. For Matthew, it was only when he stepped outside of his small town that he had to face the internalized cultural messaging of what it meant to be a black kid from rural Mississippi. In part one of this two-part series on American identity, Matthew and Cornelius join us to talk about race, belonging, and why American identity is not just black and white. I think what started my work, to be honest with you, is, is, is the fact that I'm a first-generation high school graduate. I think education saved me. And what I mean by that is that if it wasn't for my undergraduate experience, and that undergraduate experience was at Morehouse, the best institution for Black men. <laughs> um, but if I wasn't at Morehouse, and if I didn't attend Morehouse, then I don't. I definitely know that you guys wouldn't know me, and I wouldn't know you guys. There's a difference between you know people being from what we like to identify as the hood, and then there's 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 one thing to have a hood mentality, and I was deeply rooted in that. And what that essentially meant is that my loyalty was to my neighborhood, and my loyalty was to and committed to ensuring that my neighborhood was the best hood. And so whatever that means, that's that's what I did, and that's, and that's how I got down. And so um, education was not only my 
my token and my ticket out, but it was also too uh, an opportunity for me to find my voice. And so my work is essentially the essence of what a lot of these people like to talk about now, which is equity, diversity, and inclusion. That is my work. And, and, and we're very unapologetic about being revolutionary and as John Lewis said, getting in good trouble uh, for the, our most vulnerable people. And so if you don't have education and you don't have an equitable educational system, everything else fails. It was with the help of his great-grandmother, grandmother, and an unlikely mentor that Cornelius could finally begin a new chapter in his life. But first, he had to escape the toxic masculinity surrounding him. My junior year of high school uh, was my first year in real school. So my ninth and 10th grade year, I was in juvie. That's the juvenile detention center. And so once you get out of juvie, you go into, in Dallas, what is called the Juvenile Justice Alternative Education Program. That's JJAP. And JJAP, through that program, your judge or your probation officer gives you a mentor and they put you in a program that essentially ho hopes to rehabilitate you. Typically, it doesn't work. Uh, I think, however, because I had a praying grandmama <laughs> and a grandmama who didn't play, uh, it worked for me. And so I had a mentor who, surprisingly so, was a right, white Republican, and ain't nothing wrong with white Republicans, but he was a white Republican. And, and uh, he, he loved me and, and, and my grandmother unconditionally. Uh, and it, it was a love that that was new to us, especially given the fact that, you know, I, I was in a household of women, uh, my grandmother, and my great grandmother. And it was a love that was new to us because we were in a community uh, to whereas we didn't receive a lot of aid and a lot of support for people who didn't look like us. And even those who did look like us, they all had a similar struggle of fighting poverty. And so because of that mentor and because of the Dallas Urban League, I was able to receive a new idea of what, is, what, what, what this life may entail. And even when I was at Morehouse my sophomore year, I, I got into some trouble. <laughs> so whereas I was placed under investigation for two murders that I didn't commit, um, and I was shot in my arm once and I was shot in my back. And so I think what the transition was, was more so the exposure and more so that systems took the chance of a, 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 a young man who was just trying to find his way, but was so deeply rooted and deeply stuck in, um, you know, the hood. Now, to be honest with you, you know, everybody in my family, every male in my family has been shot before. Every male in my family has been to prison. All of my homeboys, I think that was a, like a code that, you know, you go, to, <laughs> you go to jail and you get shot. So it wasn't a wake-up call. It actually gave me more street cred. Uh, and what you have to understand about that mindset is that you... It's, it's toxic masculinity, but that's rooted in a form of quote-unquote ghettoism uh, in the sense of you're so deeply connected to uh, poverty in, in, in the sense of street cred and the street sense of street scholarship that you, you, your, 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 your honor comes from 
making sure that the world, and what I mean by the world, is that that community essentially knows that you are loyal and that you are committed to them. And so me being shot was actually like a badge of honor. And so it, 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 I think what really woke me up is that the, the, the morning that I got shot, it was essentially like a two or three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Um, I left the investigation room. I went back home. My grandmother said, hey, we, we're about to go to church. And when we went to church, um, the pastor at the time of the church that we was going to, uh, he spoke so ill about me because it was all in the paper. It was all on the news. Uh, and, and so when he did that, I, it's something that clicked in me to where it's just like, hey, something has to change. And I have to prove to these people that I can do better. So in the beginning, it was more so ego that saved me versus being shot. But then after I got over the fact of showing other people, I then had to show myself. And so and that goes back to the work. You know, the work is, if we're really talking about equity, diversity, and inclusion, we have to exemplify what that is through our practice and through our actions. And from those exemplifications, there should be some form of complexity that goes out and transcends and then revolutionizes whatever it is that we're trying to change. And I think that's essentially what happened to me. My idea of education uh, was to finesse the system. You know, like how you finesse the streets, you finesse the system, you just do it in a legal way. And so that's essentially how I ended up at Oxford is that you learn the tests, you take the tests, you do well on the tests, you do so well on the tests that no one can deny you. And then you have the position, you have the tools, and you have the ability to not only perform well, but outperform those individuals who often at times they don't think that we can perform. And when I say we, I'm talking about black folk from the hood. And so that's 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 how I ended up out at Oxford, and that's you know that's that's how I ended up passing the bar. Cornelius redefined his identity through education. For Matthew, who was a panelist at the alumni thematic seminar where the two met, it was all about redefining his story and what it means. So I grew up in the South too, so we have a lot of connection points. Uh, and I grew up in a mostly matriarchal system as well. I grew up in rural Mississippi, a small town called Como, Mississippi, where there's like one main strip where you've got your post office, a really great steakhouse, and a, a public library. Um, so it's a lot of connection in terms of those cultural messages around sort of family, around community, around mothership, around grandmothership. For me, I think the origin of sort of, so what I do now in terms of why I'm in graduate school uh, and why I've been sort of over the last few years, really since my time with the Obama Foundation, where I was working in Chicago um, on community development projects, and I prototyped this concept that looked to explore community's DNA. Because uh, I've, even though I've been in a small town in Mississippi since college, you know, I, I went to school in New Orleans, I lived around, abroad, and here in the country, and I've always been fascinated about how people create a sense of life for themselves and what is power and what community may not be a sense of power in another community. And so 
I always found myself always reconstructing my identity wherever I found myself in a new environment, which in a lot of ways allowed me to expand myself, but I never really felt rooted in part because there was so much of culture, internalized cultural messaging of what it meant to be a black kid from a small town in rural Mississippi. And I inherited a lot of negative stereotypes that people had about that and conformed myself to not be that so much to the point where I think I lost sight of the beauty that came from my experience. And only in the last years of, I'm 28, turning 28 next month, only within the last three years of my life have I really been able to look back at my memory, restory that, tell a different story to myself. And I think one of the crazy things I find as adults is that we tend to get landlocked in the stories we tell ourselves about our lives, about ourselves and about the world around us. And I think I'm sort of taking a more childlike approach coming with wonder, coming with curiosity and saying, maybe if I tell a different story, I have a different meaning. And if I have a different meaning, then I have a different sense of identity and different relationship to my upbringing. So that's been the work that I've been doing. And I think it's apropos right now, because as I've begun to understand the ways in which racism, colonialism has affected and constructed all of our identities and how that we have inherited certain notions of what it means to belong, what it means to be powerful, what it means to be seen, and how in a lot of ways we fit in and adapted to a model that may not be true to who we are. And so the work is really helping people, one, notice how they construct their sense of belonging, who helped them construct that, what messages that they inherit about what it means to be this, that, and the other, and then how does that juxtapose with who they really are on the inside and making sure that there's an alignment between who they project that in the world, the goals they seek in the world, the types of people they want to be in the world, and who they really are. So it's grounded in this theory I've been uh, developing called restoration therapy, which is a play on the word restoring, uh, because it's, it's grounded in narrative therapy and other social theories that really take into account that our identities is multidimensional. You can't really tell the story exclusively on your own because it's a continuous, continuous streamlines of moments and events that are constantly shaping, reshaping the fabric of who you are. So first acknowledging that we are environmentally constructed. And what that means that you have to take into account the cultural and sexual and personal aspects of belonging to really reveal the legacy and the aftermath of historical trauma uh, and cultural trauma upon all of us is that we're not divorced from this history as if we read it and it's it's just information that happened in the past those notions those belief systems those messages follow us and they follow and they eventually come into how we see ourselves and how we see others and so in my talk it was really giving an examination of how i've been able to really detangle the messages of what it means to be a black kid from rural mississippi who grow up with people who don't always use subject verb agreement, right? You know, and what does that mean? And how do I re-language that in a way that gives beauty to that experience and not always see it from an angle of what it lacks? Because then it becomes whose who's model of culture, whose model of acceptance, whose model of belonging are you using to apply to your own sense of belonging? And if that's the case, if it's if you're always if the, the measurement by which you look at yourself and you define yourself as someone else's, then you're always at a deficit. You're always trying to keep up and catch up. And so helping people realize that, see the beauty and the experiences that we have, see the beauty and the messiness of your own lived experiences and helping us find a deeper sense of purpose in that.
when my grandmother passed away in 2020, uh, it was the start of the pandemic. And uh, I think it was an aha moment that I never realized what a blessing it was to have grown up with my grandmother living right next door to me, um, which meant everybody lived next door to me because all my cousins and the whole family lived next door. And then also having my great grandmother live 10 minutes down the road, walking distance. So just growing up around them and like sitting on the porch picking peas or just sitting and playing crosswords with my grandmother or teaching my grandmother how to read because she was going back to school to get her GED or thinking about memories of my grandfather and I teach, teaching me geography and state capitals. He was a North Korean vet. And uh, it just dawned on me that something I lost a part of myself that I didn't even know that I was going to lose. And there was so much heritage and history and memory and knowledge that was connected to her. And when she passed, I saw how my family and myself, we didn't know who we were anymore. And so we had to go back into ourselves and look at ourselves as a family and say, what's our story now? Who, who carries this story? And I think oftentimes in families, and I think this is a story many families have been happening because of COVID, it's like, well, who's gonna tell the story? Who's, how are we gonna, how are we gonna access that knowledge now that it's gone? And there's a saying, an African proverb that when a when an elder dies, a tree burns, or something like that, right? And so recognizing that you really, I really saw that firsthand, where my grandma knew certain recipes to make homemade wine or homemade this and that and other, and no one in the family knew because we just never bothered asking the questions about our heritage. And what does American identity mean to these exchange alumni whose ancestors were forced to come to America? Tune in to part two to hear more from Matthew and Cornelius, the demons and difficulties they faced, and how their international exchange experiences have shaped their journeys towards self-discovery and truth. <laughs>